0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Church family, you may be seated. Hey, welcome to Connect Church this morning. I, I don't know about you, but it's been a little bit of a good weekend. I, I mean, you have the Tennessee Volunteers beating the middle school team pretty good, right? That's I mean, just good. Alabama almost lost. and That's a pretty good weekend if you toss it up that way. But I'll tell you what, we're glad we get to gather uh, together today. Hey, I want to start off. I want to talk through a little bit about your sight, about my sight, the gift of sight that you And I have. Hey, did you know this? That when it comes to our vision, your eyes, that you can concentrate, you can focus on 50 different objects every second. The only organ that is more complex in our bodies than our brain is our our eyes. When talking about your eyesight, your eyes can distinguish between approximately 10 million different colors. Your eyes can detect a flame, a faint flame, from 1.7 miles away. Your iris, the colored part of your eye, has 256 unique characteristics. And just to let you know how cool that is, your fingerprint only has 40. Your eye is the fastest contracting muscle in the body. It contracts in less than 1, 100th of a second. And catch this, you ready? That you and I blink over 17,000 times a day. You just blink thinking about it. Over 17,000 times a day, you and I blink. The optic nerve alone in the eye contains more than 1 million nerve cells. It's just amazing. Our eyes, the gift of sight is an amazing gift by God. But here's what I want you to catch this morning. Speaking of vision, you and I must know that there's more to vision than just sight. There is far more to vision than just sight. Next week's a big Sunday in the life of Connect Church. We turn three years old, and we've spent half our life in a pandemic, and we're still here, right? I'm just so excited about next Sunday. But next Sunday is also the platform by which we are going to use to share with you the next five-year vision, what Connect Church is going to pursue and what we're going to look like in the next five years in the life Of our church a vision that goes from our neighborhoods in Sevier County to the very nations and so today this Sunday I want to lay the foundation for that vision and when I say vision I think it's important for us to understand what I'm not speaking of I'm not speaking of a vision the type of supernatural vision the special revelation of God found in the stories of those in the Old Testament like Abraham Joseph or Daniel. It's not like the visions that maybe Peter, Paul, or John saw in the New Testament. Here's the vision I speak of. A vision that is grounded in God's mission to save the world through the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the old experiencing God adage. You ready? It's a vision that allows us to see where God is moving and for you and I to simply join him there. A vision that says, hey, God, where are you moving? And for you and I as a church, collectively, and as individual believers to say, you know what? Man, I'm going to join you there. You might ask today, well, where is it that God moves? Well, we know this to be true. We know that God moves through his word. We know that God moves through his spirit. And listen, God moves through his church. God moves moves through the life of his church and so as we begin to talk about this vision for the next five years where is our vision grounded what is the mission you and I take hold of well it's very simple and by the way every chance I get I will quote the Great Commission studies show that more and more the church is losing the idea and the knowledge of what the Great Commission is so I'm just sorry And I'm going to quote this every time I can. What is the very mission by which our vision is grounded? It's found in a passage like Matthew 28. Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. And now he speaks to his disciples and says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end. Of the age. You see, it's a passage like this where that is the mission set before us. That is where our vision lies for the next five years. But I want you to hear me. Vision is much more than just being set aside for a body of believers. What is your vision, individual believer? What is your vision for the rest of this day, for the rest of this week? What is your vision for the next five years of your life? What is your vision for your marriage, for your children, for your business, for your school? What is your vision for this community where God has planted your life? You see, concerning the vision for Connect Church that we'll launch next week, we have sensed and we have seen God already moving in the life of this vision to bless it, to build, and to move in it. We've seen God's fingerprints all over the vision we've worked on now for nearly a year. And our vision, our vision is this, a strategic readiness as a church to position ourselves on the very front lines of God's mission to save the world. That's exactly where we want to be. For God to position us on the front lines of His mission to save the world through the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles today, let's go to Numbers chapter 13 together. Numbers chapter 13. And here we're going to find two young men of vision who courageously, who confidently, with a strategic readiness, they could see what God was doing. And you know what they did? They joined him there. They joined him there. You see, vision sometimes is special revelation from God, but oftentimes it's a strategic readiness to join God where he's moving. That's what we see in the life of these two young men. So here's the backdrop. You ready? God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, 7. He said this to your offspring, I will give this land, land that encompasses present-day Israel. And this land is known in the Bible as the promised land. Well, seven generations pass from that promise to the people of God finding themselves in bondage and in slavery in Egypt. And talk about the goodness. Talk about the grace of God. God raises up a leader by the name of Moses, cries out to that old Pharaoh, set my people free, and finally Pharaoh listens to God. God's people are set free, and guess what? Now they're in the housing market. Y'all ever been in the housing market before? Pretty tough out there isn't it? They're in the housing market. Well the slave yards of Egypt, they're really not a home and that's not a choice. The, wall, the wilderness that they were wandering in of Sinai, that, that was no home either. And so now they turn their sights to the promised land that God had promised and given to them. And they begin to head that way. And here's what we begin to find. That it's a promised land that God said is flowing with milk and honey. And it was there for the taking. Yet as they neared the promised land, the faith of the people of God and its leaders gave way to fear. Gave way to fear. Those, those who were bold in God's promise and God's promises and the boldness it brought was exchanged for unbelief. The people had lost their vision In fact, as they approached the land, their unbelief led them to send spies to see if the land was really like God said it would be. Hey, just think of that for a moment. Here's this land that God has promised, but let's send some people over there to make sure that God's really God of His Word. Let's send some spies over there to make sure that God can really be trusted. Hey, let's send some people over there because Is it really like he said? Guys, those are some pretty hard statements of unbelief on behalf of the people of God. In fact, Moses would recount this in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And when he said this, the people said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. So in Numbers chapter 13, where we find ourselves today, here's what the Bible says that the Lord said to Moses, go ahead. Since a man explore the land of Canaan, the promised land, which I am giving to the Israelites. We find this, that God sent the spies in at the request of the people, but ultimately the sending of these spies seals the fate for those who requested it. For all those over the age of 20, with a couple of exceptions we'll see, would die wandering in the wilderness, and they would never see the promised land. Why? Because of their unbelief. The people had no vision. They could not see where God was moving, and they were unwilling to join him there on his mission to take the promised land. Helen Keller, the young girl who was blind, deaf, and mute, once wrote that the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but has no vision. The most pathetic person in the world is that person who has sight but has no vision. And here's what we begin to learn about vision from Numbers chapter 13. You ready? Here's the first thing. Vision must walk by faith and not by sight. And here's the question I have of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Here's the question I have of Numbers chapter 13. Why do you need to send in spies on a reconnaissance mission when God has already revealed to them on many occasions what the promised land and its inhabitants are like? Why the spies? Well, believer, before I answer that, let me remind you something of your faith and mine. You ready? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul reminds the church that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so you may ask this, Anthony, then why did they send spies? Because you know this to be true, right? Far too often in our lives, we choose to walk by sight and not by faith. We, We choose to walk by what we can see and what we know. Versus to walk by faith. And that's exactly what the people of God choose on this day. To walk by sight and not by faith. Now listen, the people of God with their unbelief react in such a way, in such unbelief, and that is in light of the unbelievable things they've seen God do for them. Let me just mention a couple. How about the plagues against Pharaoh in Egypt? How about rescuing them? From Pharaoh's hand. How about the parting of the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, manna from heaven, water from rock? And despite all these unbelievable things God did to them, they still react and respond to God in unbelief. You see, they were a people who wanted to walk by sight and not by faith. Sight and not by faith. And I'll be honest with you, I've been guilty here too. And maybe you've walked that way too sometime. And you know what I got to thinking when I read this? That you and I as a church, you and I as individual believers, we need to stop sending spies in to check and see if God's promises really work, if God's promises are really true, if God keeps his promises. We need to stop sending spies, and we need to walk by faith and not by sight. We need to do it. And here's what we begin to see. So we studied in the last, last week in the book of Habakkuk. We are reminded of this simple truth. You ready? The righteous will live by faith. Will live by faith. Are you and I really willing to trust God's promises, sight unseen? Can we really say to Him, God, here's my life sight unseen with the future, it's yours. If you're anything like me, that's a little hard to do. A little bit hard to do. One pastor said it this way in light of Hebrews 11.1, speaking of faith. He says, faith takes God at His word and needs no other evidence. Isn't that good? You ready? Our faith takes God at His word and I don't need any other type of evidence. Are we willing To walk by faith and not by sight. You see, good vision always walks by faith and not by sight. And here's what we're reminded now as these 12 spies that that Moses sends into the land, as they come back and 10 of them begin to report on what they saw, here's something we are going to find in this whole conversation of vision. Because, by the way, for the next couple of minutes, it's going to look really bad in Scripture. This promised land is going to look pretty rough. But here's what we're reminded about vision as well. You ready? Behind every good vision is an even greater God. Behind every good vision is an even greater God. Now let's watch this unfold. Ten spies come back and they begin to report. It says this, that we went into the land which you sent us. And watch it. It does flow with milk and honey. And two of the guys are holding a pole and one cluster of grapes on that pole. And they say, Here is its fruit. The land it does flow with milk and honey, and, and here's the fruit. And you know what we begin to see here is we just stop in here. For 40 days, 12 spies scouted and surveyed the promised land. But we know how scripture plays out those 40 days would turn into 40 years of wandering because of their unbelief. And get this, you ready? The spies traveled some 500 miles in 40 days across the promised land. And here's the conclusion they came to, you ready? That the promised land was just as God said it would be. Hey church, you can search for 40 minutes. 40 hours, you could search 40 days, you could search 40 years, and you will never find it in any of your searching an instance where God cannot be taken at his word. You can search a whole lifetime, and you'll never find one time where God breaks his promise. And you think that'd be enough for him. But watch what happens here. But or in some of your translations. Nevertheless, hey, God, I know your promises, but. God, I know where your spirits leading, but. I know what would honor you, but. Is there ever such a word chock full of unbelief that a believer could utter? This word of unbelief, but, leads into this. The people who live there are powerful. As if the God they serve isn't. The cities are fortified and were very large. As if their God was not big enough. We even saw the descendants of Hanak there. You know what they're talking about here? The descendants the Nephilim. They're saying, you know what they're saying here? And by the way, this one sentence alone would strike fear in the heart of the people of God. Hey, there's giants in that land. They would later report that we were as grasshoppers in their sight. There's there's giants over there. Numbers 13 says this that this report struck fear into the heart of the people. For some of the spies tend to be exact. This was no land of opportunity. This was only a land of obstacles. It wasn't a land of endless possibilities, but a land of impossibility. It wasn't a promised land. This was a problem land. In fact, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 31, they would say this. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't even attack those people because they're stronger than we are. Verse 32, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And if you watch their report, it gets worse and worse. It goes from here and says, hey, we saw some giants out there to at one point, all of them are giants. Hey. Doesn't that sound like media? (laughs) Doesn't that sound exactly like where our fear takes us? It makes everything seem bigger and worse than really what, what it is. And we see that here. But here's what I want you to see. And I don't want you to miss. That this was not just a bad report about the land. This was really a bad report about the Lord who had given them the land. This was a bad report about God himself. Yes, the land was exactly what he told him to be, but they saw scarecrows. He said, well, wait a second, the text doesn't say that. But they saw scarecrows. Here's what I mean, you ready? Y'all know what happens this time of year? You know what's all over my porch? Scarecrows. These cute little straw scarecrow things that don't scare, invites every attacker in the world there, right? Um, there was a bear at our house about midnight that just ripped everything up around our house. And it's as if they invite, but, but you know what scarecrows are and what they're used for, don't you? You put them out in the field, put them out in the garden, and their very purpose is to scare away birds because you don't want them messing with your crops, with your fruits. And here's the deal when it comes to scarecrows. They scare away most birds. But you know what a smart bird will do? A smart bird will see a scarecrow and see it as nothing more than an invitation to come and to feast in its fields. Because they know this about a scarecrow. That's only just a bunch of straw and some clothes thrown over its back. A smart bird will see a scarecrow and see it as an invitation to come and to feast. You know, I get to thinking about this story in the promised land. Man, it was full of scarecrows, wasn't it? Powerful people. Fortified cities. There's even giants in there. But for the believer, God used the scarecrows as his invitation to come and to feast on his very promises and his blessings. Hey, you ready? Every giant that makes you feel like a grasshopper is nothing more than a scarecrow inviting you to feast on the very goodness of God. You see, when God is in it, when God is moving, we simply join him there, and even powerful people in fortified cities and giants serve nothing more than as scarecrows inviting us to come and to feast on the goodness of God. Why? Because behind every good vision is an even greater God. One author put it this way: In light of the ten spies, he says the ten unbelieving spies illustrate many Christians today. We have spied out the inheritance we have in Christ. We've even tasted some of the fruits of His blessing, but time and time again, our unbelief keeps us from walking by faith. The ten spies—they couldn't see where God was moving. They lost their vision, and all they could see were scarecrows of giants and fortified cities in the very promised land of God. Hey, can I ask you a question? What are your scarecrows? What what are the situations and circumstances in your life? Who are the people in your life that have you convinced, that have you so fearful that you come to the place where you walk by sight and not by faith? You see, Proverbs would teach us in Proverbs 29, 25, that fear, the fear of a man <laughs> lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Hey, can I remind you, church, that there is no safer place on this planet to be than right in the center of God's will for your life. There is no safer place for you and I to be. 1 John 4:18 says this, there is no fear in love, but that perfect love casts out all, All fear. Church, we must walk by faith and not by sight. We ought not be scared off by scarecrows, but rather see them as an invitation to come and to feast on the goodness of God. You see, we hear the report of the ten, but what are their twelve spies? What are the other two? What are Caleb and, and Joshua? What do they have to say? Well, in your Bibles, jump a chapter up in in Numbers chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 6, and I want you to read this. I'm going to jump around just a little bit. Here's what happened. Well, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up. We ought to take possession of that land, for we certainly can do it. When the people complained that they could not go up and conquer the land, both Caleb and Joshua responded strongly. It goes on to say they tore their clothes. And in front of the entire Israelite assembly, they said this, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That phrasing there, of land flowing with milk and honey, is in the Hebrew, poetic. It says of this land, it is good land. And not only is it good land, but it is bountiful land. And he says this, that the Lord will send us into a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us, Caleb says. Hey, only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You know what that is right there? Pretty good pregame speech. I can imagine Caleb holding out the mic and dropping it. I want you to think of it. All 12 spies, every one of them worked with the same set of facts. And yet, 10 spies reacted in fear, and two spies responded. In faith. Hey, ten spies walked by sight and two spies lived by faith. They were convinced. Hey, they were confident that behind this good vision was an even greater God. Let me ask you something about vision in your life. Where you see God moving and joining Him there. Are you confident behind it Enough to know that behind every good vision you see, that the God you serve is even greater. Hey, for the ten spies, their doubt gave way to disbelief, which gave way to rebellion. They saw everything the land had to offer, yet had no vision, no strategic readiness to trust God's mission to take hold of the land. Ten spies saw the large stature of giants, whereas Caleb and Joshua saw how strong their God is. Ruth Graham, the late Billy Graham, the, the wonderful evangelist wife, she was doing a Bible study one day in Numbers 13 and 14, and she said to her group of ladies, she said this, and as she paused, she said, here's the difference between the two sets of spies. The ten compared themselves to their problems, and the two compared their problems with God. Oftentimes in life, guys, we compare ourselves to our problems and we don't measure up our problems against our God. You see, because Joshua and Caleb had the vision to see God's mission, what God was doing, and to join him there, they saw the promised land. And listen to what God says on their behalf. In Numbers 14, 24, he says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him to the land he went to. And his descendants will inherit it. And verse 38 adds this, not one of you, as God speaks to the people who wanted the spies, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except for Caleb and Joshua. Except for Caleb and Joshua. Mommy, you leave my sermon? I mean, you just, I mean I, I'm, I'm in the good part. I'm preaching hard. I'm kidding, Mom. I just saw you walking. I had to do that. Hey, listen. Nobody but Joshua and Caleb will enter the land. You know, here's what I believe, church. You ready? That God is raising up his church, his people with a different spirit in them who follow him wholeheartedly. He's raising up Caleb's. Who with the courage of God's promise and God's confidence will get with God and God will get it done in their life. A church that sees the giants before them as scarecrows and nothing more than an invitation to come and to feast on his promises and to feast on his goodness. As a church, we must have a vision to see where God is moving and to join him there. But I want you to hear me. That is not only true of Connect Church collectively. But that is true, connect church individually. For your life and mine. Guys, we live so much day to day and moment by moment. That if we're not careful, we don't stop. And look to the next day. into the next year and the next five years. And, and see where it is that God is moving. And seek to join Him there. I read the story of a, a little girl by the name of Hattie Mae Wyatt. A pastor on December 1st, 1912, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Pennsylvania. His name's Russell Conwell. He talked about this particular meeting with this little Hattie Mae Wyatt. You see, she lived near this church her whole life. One Sunday, she finally decided to go to the pastor to his church, Grace Baptist there in Pennsylvania, and she was going to visit Sunday school. She really wanted to go to Sunday school. Well, back then, a child would just walk themselves to church, and she did. She lived in the poor part of town, and her family was very poor. But she wanted to go to Sunday school. She got there. And the pastor recounts that the church was very busy that day, that all the Sunday school rooms were filled, And she noticed right away there was no room for her. And so she began to leave and she was upset. The pastor saw her, stopped her. Why are you upset, sweetheart? And she said, because, I don't know, maybe I hope one day that there will be a church where everybody who wants to go to Sunday school, every child who wants to go to Sunday school can go. And he comforted her, and she walked away, and, and she would visit a couple more times this little girl. Well, as would be with so many who were poor, and she'd gotten sick, she caught fever. And months later, she, she died. The mama reached out to Pastor Kamal. said, Pastor, would you come and do her service? And with honor, he said, he said yes. And when, she, when he went and met with her mother, Hattie Mae's mama, She handed him a change purse, and in that change purse was about 57 cents. It tumbled out onto the ground, and he began to pick it up, and he said, I I don't understand. What is? And the mama said, Pastor, you see, ever since she first visited you, little Hattie Mae has been saving up money in this change purse. Now, 57 cents in that day for a poor little girl was a lot of money. But you see, pastor, she'd been saving up her money so that she could help you build a Sunday school where every child who wanted to go to Sunday school could. And it ripped out the pastor's heart. He did her funeral. He went back to his church, and he had his 57 cents on the table, on his pulpit. He said, church, let's build a Sunday school where every child who wants to go to Sunday school can. That 57 cents from Hattie Mae grew into $256, which was a large sum and was just large enough so that the church could purchase a good-sized home and piece of property where children could go to Sunday school. And they did. And not only that... Students from all over would come to this home and this piece of property and they would begin to learn about the Lord and begin their studies. And do you know that that little house was the very beginning and birthplace of Temple University? And that this day, on the 57 cents that Hattie Mae had saved in her change purse, this day, Temple University and Good Samaritan Hospital is housed on the very land her 57 cents purchased. All because a little girl had a vision. It wasn't a burning bush. (laughs) She knew that God loved children. And every child ought to be able to go to Sunday school. And so you know what she did? She took 57 cents. And she entrusted it the Lord and and so here's my question who are you entrusting your 57 cents to and here's what I mean who is it that you entrust your life who is it that you entrust your spouse who is it that you entrust your children and your grandchildren the mission field of your workplace the mission field of our schools our community who is it that you entrust with it You see, Hattie Mae entrusted her vision to the Lord. And only he could take 57 cents and bring about a university and a hospital that are still meeting the needs of people today. You see, church, we must have a vision that is grounded in God's mission to save the world. A vision that sees where God is moving and a willingness to join him there. A vision that sees giants as nothing more than scarecrows inviting us to feast on the promises and the goodness of God. What if today you took your 57 cents and you said, God, give me a vision for my my marriage? How many marriages would be saved if each person would go, God, give me your vision for my marriage? And some of y'all could stand and testify. God, what's your vision for my kids, my grandkids, for the mission field that's my workplace and my school, in my community? What would it be if you entrusted God with your 57 cents?